Wow, well, it's great to be with you this morning with our little group in here. Thank you, everyone. You're amazing. Um, guys, you who are watching at home, uh, I just so want to honor and affirm the energy of the people in this room that are working so hard with their gifts to help us grow as disciples of Jesus. It's really hard to do in a room with just a few of us and knowing that most of you are at home talking to a camera. And so I just want to say well done, guys. It's been a genuine joy to worship together and to learn together so far this morning. Um, if you've joined us since the beginning, welcome to, to Garden Church Inside. Unfortunately, we don't have the uh, Wimbledon Centre Court technology that means we can put a roof over the garden uh, when it rains. Uh, so we all run inside and rain stops play. But uh, we're, we're praying that by next Sunday and through the rest of the summer, we'll be able to be back outside with the crowd um, in, in the open air. Uh, as we said at the beginning, please keep praying for Joe and Amy uh, and the children as they wait for uh, just the, the last few visa clarifications before they relocate to Paris uh, next Sunday when we can get people uh, physically uh, around them. We will pray for them one more time uh, and have the joy of sending them as a church family to go and join with the church family in Paris. How exciting, building another part of the wall. We'll get to that story uh, later on in AMI, I'm sure. Um, open your Bibles, please, in, in Luke 14. Uh, I'm going to carry on with our parables series that we're doing in the, in the open air um, through this summer. I, I've had some, uh, some see, picked up some chat already on social media this morning that I'm wearing a Portugal shirt uh, the morning after such a great victory for uh, England. Um, two reasons. If Kaz says don't talk about the football, and here I am doing it. Uh, two reasons. One is it was a Father's Day gift, and you know, you've got to wear your Father's Day presence. Number two, it's just nice. It's an expression of sympathy for some friends in other parts of the world that normally are looking down patronizingly on us at this stage in the tournament. <laughs> Here I am able to wear their shirt without a care in the world. Uh, anyway, football's over now. Uh, Luke chapter 14, much more importantly, we're going to look at the parable of the great banquet. Let me just give you a little bit of uh, context around this parable. Um, Jesus is at the house of one of the Pharisees, uh, the, the legalists uh, of his day, the religious, uh, the ones that are watching uh, for every little uh, infraction of the rules. He's having a meal with them, but he's being watched very carefully. It's one of those uncomfortable meals. Um, he heals a man um, who has some kind of inflammation and swelling, but rather than celebrating around the room, he gets the silent treatment from those that are there with him. Why? Well, it's the Sabbath. It's the day in the Jewish law where they think they're not supposed to do things, even that are, are work, like healing the sick. Um, Jesus says, hey, you got it totally the wrong way around. And this parable comes uh, during a series of uh, parables and teachings in Luke's gospel where Jesus is confronting the Pharisees time after time with this fact that they've, they've completely missed the kingdom. It's going to be taken from them and given to those who will receive it, to others, to outsiders. Um, in verses 12 to 14, just before we pick up our part of the story today, Jesus is around the table. Could you imagine? He's speaking as a guest at a table and he says, he looks them in the eye around the table as I'm looking you in the eye on YouTube this morning. Not you, Kelly, don't worry, I'm looking at the camera. Don't feel nervous. Uh, Kelly's operating the camera today, uh, but I'm looking at you at home. Jesus says, change your hearts. Stop just making these meals for yourselves and your rich friends and those who can do good back to you, the influential at your dinner parties. You could be blessed by God by opening the doors and inviting in the lost and the broken and the disabled. That's what Jesus says. And that, that um, moment leads to the power 
parable that he now tells to describe another picture of what God's kingdom is like. Um, it, it shows uh, in, in one moment the bigger picture of what's happening in Jesus' uh, ministry. The rich, the powerful, the influential, the legalists, they're going to reject Jesus. But the, and the invitation to, to Jesus' banquet of salvation, they're going to be shut out from. Meanwhile, the poor, the outcasts, I think I heard the phrase this week, the, 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 the ruffians uh, and the lost and the broken and the have-nots are going to respond to the invitation and they're going to take their place. How about you and I this morning? It's so attractive, as Jesus says this, making people uncomfortable around the table. Um, it's so attractive that one of the Pharisees says, wow, I want this. He's drawn in. I want this life. He's so enticed by it that Jesus then tells them this story that we pick up in Luke 14 and verses 15 to 24. Uh, when one of those at the table heard Jesus, he said to him, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field. Uh, I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I've just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town, bring in the poor, the disabled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Lord Jesus, we invite you to help us now by the power of your Holy Spirit as we are once again a scattered church dislocated around the town, maybe even around the country or around the world this morning, trying to connect in together trying to grow together and be strengthened together on, on, over the internet. Lord, this seems impossible, but you're with us. And would you speak now, build us, strengthen us, equip us for life in your kingdom uh, as we just look at these verses for the next few minutes. Amen. Amen. So, wow, what a parable Jesus tells. There's some incredible um, banquet language in the New Testament. Um, Jesus is introduced as the Messiah, the one who's come. He's, a, he's arrived. He's the one you've been waiting for and hoping for. Um, now the feasting can begin. That's the kind of story, the narrative around the arrival of, of Jesus. And around the table with Jesus, there's healing and there's hope and there's forgiveness and there's life and, and fullness. Um, it, it's, it's a wonderful place to be. And there's a sense that there's, even now, with all this, there's a greater feast to come when one day we'll eat and drink with him in glory. That's what Matthew 9, 14 tells us. Um, the disciples around Jesus are criticized a few times because they don't fast like other religious men and women in their day. And Jesus says, no, this is a unique time. I'm here with my followers right now. They will fast again and they'll feast again. But at this unique time, uh, um, there's no need. We're just going to celebrate because the Messiah is here. And when we fast again and when we feast again, as Jesus ascends into heaven, that fasting and feasting will anticipate the day when Jesus is coming back. 
back, when all things will be made new. When, when, we're, when we have communion today in a few minutes' time, don't forget to have your bread and your juice ready. We are with Jesus and his disciples in Matthew 26, where he says, hey, you'll drink this again with me anew in my Father's kingdom. That's what all our fasting and all our feasting today anticipates. And Jesus gave a taste of this banquet that was to come. There's, there's a joy in the kingdom. And every time Jesus has one of these meals and gives a taste of the banquet to come, there seems to be a surprise invite list, a surprise guest list. It's like that wedding we've all been at where we say, are they with the bride or the groom? And nobody really knows quite how they, how they got in and got a place at the table. Jesus' ministry is full of these kinds of, of moments, what we call table fellowship. Um, where he deliberately associates with those outside of the religious elite in order to bring them into his father's house. It's all food. It's all meals. Do you remember the, the first time uh, Jesus' uh, ministry is revealed openly is at the wedding in Cana where he turns great big gallons of water into wine. He has an, a beautiful meal at Levi, Matthew's house, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's home where he heals Peter's mother-in-law so she can cook for him and the crowd and then they can eat together and heal all the sick that come to them. Zacchaeus's party when he's come down from the tree uh, and had his heart changed completely to follow Jesus. The party at Lazarus's house that must have been amazing when they passed the wine around and then said, hey, has anyone got a story that they want to tell around the table tonight? Can you imagine what that was like at Lazarus's house? Um, what about the feeding of the 5,000 or the feeding of the 4,000 or this meal in Luke 14 where we find Jesus around the table or the Last Supper with his disciples or, or the, the meal that he began with the disciples when he walked with them to Emmaus after his death and resurrection or the resurrection breakfast barbecue on the beach with his disciples. There are so many of these moments with Jesus around meal tables and banquets. I think we're supposed to see this is how Jesus does life with people around the table. The early church followed that pattern. It's a pattern for us church as well. We're we're carrying a, a, a post-COVID longing to live this kind of authentic way of the disciple again as soon as we can. Wow, we, we've met the cast here in this parable. The master of the banquet, I think, is our heavenly father. I think the servant here, clearly Jesus is speaking about himself. He's the one who's come to make the invitation. Those who were invited originally were the, the Jews, the people of Israel. Uh, but now the invitation's going further afield. So we've got a sense of the banquet language of the New Testament. We've got an idea of who is in the cast. What about these excuses? The, the field, the animals, the wife. Are they real excuses? I don't think so. Um, it, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? I, I think that the host would have spared no expense on this banquet. He sent the invitations out way in advance. People knew they had it in their, in their um, uh, Google calendars uh, or written on the wall, uh, stuck on the fridge a long way ahead of time. Now we get near to the date uh, and they're saying, oh, do you know what, I, 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 think, I think there's a match on. I think I'm washing my hair tonight. I think I'd, I'd rather not be there. That Jesus makes me a bit uncomfortable. The field, the animals, the, the wife, they're, they're weak excuses. It's really a judgment of his generation that are saying we really don't want to come into this invitation of salvation through Jesus. We have our law. We'll do it our own way. We don't want to be around our table. 
Nobody, nobody buys uh, farm animals without seeing them plough first. It would be like buying a car in today and not taking it for a test drive and finding out. I had a friend who once bought a car this way. Uh, took it on a test drive even um, and only went, uh, turned left around the block, did a circle, came back, exchanged money, bought the car. When he got home, found out the car wouldn't turn right at all and the axle was completely busted. No, nobody buys oxen like that. It's just a weak excuse. No one buys a field without inspecting it first. There's no need for the guy to leave his new wife at home. It's an invitation with a plus one. She can come too. And this response we find in verse 21 is the anger of God. And this is righteous anger. It's, it's not a flare-up. Uh, it's not a lashing-out kind of anger. God is absolutely right and just to judge them in his anger. He's set a table. He's made a way for his people to come. And they've rejected his hospitality. Their, um, for their own ways. And so he says, and, and that um, it's a frightening verse, verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Wow, do you feel the, the weight of that today? And then there's this wider invitation, verse 21, the outsiders, the poor, the disabled, the, the, the blind, the lame. This is, this is strange language. Um, actually, it's, Jesus is using their language. This is the way religious Jews spoke about those who were outside of their faith. Um, in their spiritual pride and their religious superiority, they saw the Gentiles, the non-Jews, as those who were, were blind or deaf or disabled, to use their language. But the big story of the Bible that they've missed from, from their father, Abraham, onwards, every people group on planet Earth, are going to be invited into this promise through Jesus Christ. This narrow invitation to know God and to be God's people is, is being um, expanded. It's being removed from the people uh, who've rejected Jesus. Now everyone through Jesus Christ is going to get an invitation. It's you and me. So what about us? As you hold on on YouTube and watch this morning, for the few of us in the room today, what, what about us in this context? Actually, in, in this context, we are the poor uh, in this parable. We're the outsiders. We're the ones who didn't originally have an invite to this table, but now it's been opened up to us to use language we've used previously uh, in previous weeks at Garden Church in these parables. We, um, we're the ones who've been planted into this vineyard of God's people. We've been grafted into the vine as new branches, or to use a different picture, we've been adopted into this family of the people of God. We who are using Bible uh, phrases, we who are far off, strangers, outsiders, now get to come near to God. There's now neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile or outsiders, but one new humanity in Jesus Christ. There's a new and true royal priesthood, a new holy nation, a new holy people belonging to God. Once we were not God's people, but now this unlikely group, even here in this room today, of mixed up ordinary outsiders is declared to be the people of God, his people, his bride, the apple of his eye. And all of this anticipates that one day around his big feasting table with a multitude that nobody can count from every tribe and language group and nation, we will get to eat and drink again with Jesus. This is our story, church. It's what we're uh, caught up in today. Wow. How about some specific application for us before we break bread together? In verse 21, in response, um, the master of the banquet says to the servant, go out quickly and bring in the, the poor. 
the gospel of the kingdom has always been good news to the poor. Isaiah prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus. It was going to be good news to the poor, the poor in spirit, as well as the financially poor. The gospel has always flourished among the poor. Jesus often teaches that the proud and those who think they have it all together, they're the ones that will miss him. They're the ones that will miss his invitation. We don't need him. We're so self-sufficient. We have it all. But the poor, the broken, uh, wow, yes, please, Jesus, uh, let me come. I need your help. And every breakthrough, every pioneering revival movement um, has opened a door with a rush to the poor uh, and the broken who said, uh, has said to them, please come in. I love the stories of, of Wisley and Whitfield back in, the, in the, um, the 1740s. They were pushed out of churches that were closed and locked to them in this country. Uh, they were doing garden church before us. They spoke in, in, in outside places and fairs and market stalls and town centers and graveyards to crowds in the open air who weren't welcome inside the churches. William Booth, my own roots, 100 years later in the Salvation Army in the 1860s onwards. He began his Salvation Army because his converts amongst the multitudes of the poor from the east end of London were not welcomed in traditional churches. The doors were closed to them. We've got our friends down the road here in Crawley at the Elim Church. And the, the Elim UK movement was birthed after the Great War here in, in, in Great Britain, the 1914-18 war, the Jeffreys brothers through the 20s and 30s, planting churches, seeing multitudes who were broken and desperate after the First World War, being born again, having their bodies healed, coming into a family when the traditional church had no space for them. I think even our own um, uh, movement that came out of what we now call the house church movement of the 70s and 80s, we were people in our early days who welcomed one another into our homes with joy uh, around, the, around the table with freedom in our worship that was, that was locked up in established and traditional churches. This is our roots. It's our story. And who are the poor today? Who is my neighbor to be loved and invited? I think we've said already that we're talking about the poor in spirit, a poverty of spirit. But we are talking about the financially poor as well. Hey, whichever way you look at it, these parables that we're uh, learning from week after week teach us that everyone is welcome to come into Jesus' banquet. Whatever your background, even if you followed another faith, come from another culture, come from another worldview, whatever your color, whatever your language, whatever way you identify in yourself, the invitation is to come and eat with and meet Jesus Christ who is going to change everything. I know right now, even for people like me who've been brought up in church, we can think like a Pharisee at this point. This sounds too easy. It sounds too liberal. It sounds like you're opening the doors too wide open. The religious say you, you can't just invite all those kinds of people. And that's been a story repeated down through the ages. Or maybe you're thinking like a liberal this morning. You're saying, hey, brilliant. Yeah, it doesn't matter how you live. There is no sin. We all just love Jesus and we get there in the end. Hey, whether you're at the religious end or at the liberal end, I'm afraid Jesus Christ is going to frustrate both of your extremes. He frustrates both camps. If you read on, and remember, we never take these Bible verses out of context. If you read on into verse 25 and the next um, section in Luke's gospel, we read that Jesus says, as we come to him, we are all going to need to count the cost. Hey, come to my table, but there's a cost to be counted. He, he uses language like this, take up your cross. He says, you've got to give up your life. 
He says, you've got to lay down your life. You've got to put everything aside. He uses words like renounce all that you have, all that you are, if you're going to be my disciple. Hey, come to the table, but there are some challenging words for us to hear when we get there. The invitation is to come as you are, but it recognizes that, hey, we come in our brokenness, but Jesus will make us whole. And so he invites us to give up every other preference, every other attitude, every other culture and worldview, every other judgment of others in our spiritual pride, every other pride in my identity, whatever that is, whether it's my nationality, my language, my sexuality, everything else gets given up. I have a new primary identity now. I live for Jesus and Jesus Christ uh, alone. Wow. Jesus wants everything as we come to his table. So maybe today you are ready to come to this table and to meet Jesus Christ. Maybe for someone watching today on YouTube, this is the first step for you. How do you do that? Jesus says, die to yourself. (laughs) Give up your life in order to have his life. Repent, turn, leave behind, follow Jesus, trust him. Maybe for some of us who count ourselves as disciples of Jesus, just need some recalibration this morning as well as we're challenged by his words here. What about some final application for us before we break bread? In verse 21, verse 23, the servant is told, go out and then go out again. Go to the the fences and the hedges. We are a local church, as any true church is, that in some way, some imperfect way, represents the kingdom of God to our world around us. I'm just asking this morning in the light of this passage, what about our tables? What about my home and your home? What about our attitudes? What about my street? What about this building that that some of us are in this morning? What about our ministries and our small groups and our life that reaches out together to the town? What about our garden out there and this beautiful new cafe, this feast of good news? I think this parable is telling us it's not just for us, church. I wonder sometimes, are we, are we feeding ourselves? Are we getting fat on this good news while there are spiritually hungry lives around our fences and hedges that don't even know about Jesus? The whole point of this feast that we've been invited into is that it's been prepared for others as well. There are still more, Jesus says in this passage, more to be invited. And we should know that. We were those who were invited in ourselves. How how can it be that we can come in and then we shut the doors behind us and eat all that we want ourselves? No, Jesus says go out to the town. Jesus has got his eyes on Crawley. He's looking around. He sees the many that he also wants at his banquet. I'm praying this morning, God, give us your eyes. Give us your hearts. Help us to carry your invitation to this table. It's urgent. Verse 21, go out quickly and bring them in. There's no time to lose. Jesus is coming back soon. The food's being served here in the parable. It's, it's hot. It's on the table. It's like when I call down, hey, dinner's on the table. Don't let it go cold. That's what's happening here. The kingdom of God is at hand. Today is the day of salvation. Don't be complacent, church, with this invitation. There is still room. Oh, God, help us that we don't just settle for being a nice-sized church. There are plenty of other good churches around Crawley, but this is not the fullness of God's promise. There is still room at the table. There are still others, still many yet to be invited. And we are those who are being sent back out again with our hearts open and our doors open and our hands open. We get to live as agents for the ever-increasing kingdom. I, I think even if, 
even if there's 5% of the population of Crawley that are connected with a local church, and that's probably a high percentage, I'd be surprised. That means there are probably 110, 115,000 people in Crawley and the villages around that don't know Jesus, that don't know they need Jesus. And those people live in my street and your street. They're in my workplace and your workplace. They're in your school and your university. They're at our sports clubs. They're at your gym. They're in our favorite cafes. The Apostle Paul says, how will they know unless we tell them? How can they come unless we invite them in? Church, the banquet is ready. The invitations have been sent out long ago. The food's going cold. It's at the table. Quick, it's here. Let's go. Let's be urgent. So what about our tables? What about our life and ministries together? I said at the beginning, we are longing to open up our home and our little table again um, I'm so looking forward to having people around it again soon. I'm dreaming about a, a group in our home this autumn where we get to invite some people that don't know Jesus and read the Bible with them and learn to pray and eat and chat together. Looking forward so much from the end of this September to have a big alpha around the table in our new cafe. I wonder who will we invite? Who, who's being stirred by the Holy Spirit to say, I want to help in that kind of endeavor this morning? What about your small group or your huddle this autumn? What about your group thinking, do you know what? With my family, let's do an online uh, alpha in January when the nights are dark and people don't want to come out where we can open the doors of our lives, as it were, and invite some people to know Jesus. There is still room, church. Let's not become comfortable, happy, just doing what we do together as we're able to gather again, but open the door and make space for others to share this life with Jesus. This is our mission. May it never be possible for us just to be churchgoers here and not understand that we're here to engage in this mission and invite others into this banquet. Let me just finish with this point and we'll break bread uh, together. It's not just around here that Jesus sends us. He sends the invitation further afield to outside of the city, the highways and the hedges. This gospel call must go from churches like us to other places, other cultures, other languages. Thank God, as we've said so many times prophetically, that he has put us in an airport town where one day flights will fly again to cities and cultures and languages uh, uh, around us. That's why we have a vision that means uh, next Sunday we'll be sending people to Paris. That's why a year ago this weekend we sent a family to plant a church in Banbury. That's why we serve churches in Brazil and in Portugal and Romania and Italy and Pakistan. That's why we support missions and missionary movements. It's because there's still more room at the table. And still people who need to know that they have an invite. My house will be full, the Father says. And so he says, make them come in, compel them, urge them, do everything you can. That's why we invest money in our budgets every year and give away thousands because we want to reach into the nations, not just locally, to do everything we can to welcome those who would never have imagined in their culture that they would have an invitation to be around the table with Jesus Christ. Make them come in. Oh, it's an interesting point to finish with. Matthew 28, Jesus says, go and make disciples. I've just been thinking about this over the last week. Well, we've had a few days away in, in, uh, in cold and misty Hastings um, about this idea of making people come in. I think many churches do their very best, and I understand why, to attract disciples. Go, go and find some disciples. Um, be the best you can on YouTube. All that stuff's important. But I think when we do that, when we build to that way, we, we just grow with disciples that move from one church to another to another. Jesus says, go and make disciples. Our single cause 
Crawley to Community Church is to go make disciples, to go make them. Our one job, you have one job, is to go find the unchurched and the uncharted here and beyond with this message of Jesus that says, come in, come to this banquet, become a new disciple. I'm going to ask you at home right now, if you're sensing the Holy Spirit speaking to you, just to stand up with me now. Stand up here in the room as well. Nathan, Hannah, maybe you can come and help us too. It seems strange at home. Remember these days when we used to be online every week? And we'd have these ministry time moments. You think, well, how does this work? Hey, can I just encourage you in faith right now, just try and put aside the other distractions. Why don't you stand? Why don't you close your eyes before the Lord? Maybe lift your hands up to him. We're just welcoming the Holy Spirit. Today, Hey, friend, don't miss this. If you don't know Jesus, you have an invite into his table, into his banquet. If, if, you cast, if you class yourself today as an outsider or someone who's sick or struggling in your mind, in your body, in your emotions, if you're poor in spirit, if you're lost and confused, wow, Jesus is smiling at you today. He's welcoming you. He says, come in, sit with me. There's a space next to me. Welcome. Welcome. Wow, if you know I need to take the first step of following Jesus and you're not sure what to do next, please contact us uh, immediately, right now, uh, just through the church website. Send us a message, um, even put a message on the YouTube page. We'll come back to you. We'll help you to take your first steps in following Jesus this week. Maybe for the rest of us that are disciples. I don't know about you. I've been challenged by this message this morning. Just open your hands to the Lord. I've got three little areas of repentance that we, uh, repentance is always the, the, the key that opens up the kingdom of God. Whenever Jesus speaks about the kingdom, he says, we're left saying, yeah, I want that, Lord. Jesus says, okay, here's how you have it, repent. <laughs> so we're going to turn away from something. We're going to turn away to him. Just do this with me. Lord Jesus, I, I release my pride. Any religious mindset that I've been programmed with, that stops me from seeing how your kingdom really works and that prevents me from playing my part. Forgive me. I, I put it down now and I turn to you and I want the mind of Christ. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you for that passage in Ephesians we read right from the start that says we're, we're going to have power together with all the saints to know the height and breadth and depth and length of this love that surpasses all knowledge. God, we pray would you just recalibrate our minds that so easily default to a religious, judgmental mindset and give us an understanding of how deep and rich and full and unending is your love. Thank you, Lord. And secondly, Lord, we put down all the excuses that stop us coming to you, Jesus, and living with any sense of urgency. All those, yes, Lord, I, I want this. Even a, a response to a sermon like this morning where I'm saying, yeah, Lord, I want this, but just let me first. I'll just get through this busy period of work. I'll just finish this period of study. I've just got this family situation to work through. I just need to get some things uh, sorted first, and then I'm ready. God, we, we put down every excuse. Your kingdom is urgent. Lord, you're ready to help us in all these things. You say all these things are important to you. You'll help us in every single step of our lives, but you say seek first my kingdom. Lord, we do that today, and we repent of every other attitude. And Lord, thirdly, we just want to put down every attitude that prevents us from opening up our lives and our tables. And we feel that now, Lord, particularly as at this very near, perhaps the end of restrictions on COVID. Lord, we confess fears. Um, we confess we, we've maybe some of us got lazy or got used to living on our own again. Lord, we confess about the inconvenience and the ex expense and 
every spiritual pride that prevents us from welcoming people who are different to us around our table. Lord Jesus, help us to be like you. And so we repent of those attitudes too. Yeah. And now with our hands empty of all the stuff that prevents us, we commit ourselves to you, Lord. We commit this church to you. We commit this space to you. We commit this garden to you over the summer outside. We commit our cafe space to you down the end of the building. Lord, right now, the majority of the church are standing in their homes. They're near their tables. We commit those spaces to you. We commit our small groups to you and the new discipleship pathways that will launch in the autumn. Every ministry that reaches out, we commit to you. We want to be truly kingdom-shaped so we can play our part in this great banquet. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There's some specific things the Lord's spoken to you about this morning. Just pray about them quietly for a moment. Maybe you want to write some things down. Maybe you want to nudge a friend, send a WhatsApp.